0: everybody's gotta eat and nobody likes getting sick that's why heroes toil in the shadows keeping your food safe at all points from the supply chain to the point of sale join industry veterans francine l shaw and matt Rigushi for a deep dive into food safety it all boils down to
1: one golden rule don't eat Don't eat poop. Hello, hello, Francine. Hey, Matt. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And yourself? Fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Francine, are you in the mood today? (laughs) We just
0: had this discussion, (laughs) Matt. (laughs) Really not in the mood today. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Oh how I'm gonna behave. You're gonna be great. You always are, Francine. You always are. I try. I try my best. You know what's you know what's interesting? I think probably the what do you actually before I give my opinion, what do you think the the number one reason why people stop doing podcasts are?
0: Um Okay. First of all, you have to be very consistent. And I think consistency is very difficult for people. Yes. It to be a routine and it's very difficult to fit it in your schedule, especially when you're busy because we struggle, <laughs> full disclosure, because we're both very busy and it's very difficult to keep on that schedule. So I think that is one reason. Another reason is, um, you know, the promotion of the podcast is difficult. If you don't have somebody to do that for you Um, to keep the, the um, I want to say viewership up, but it's really listeners, but you also have to have the viewers of, of the clips because that's important. You have more listeners. If you have the clips Um, to maintain that, that audience, you have to consistently promote it because the weeks that I'm busy and I don't have time to do that promotion our listeners drop. Yeah. So that that also is a job. You have to be committed to doing that. And that takes time. And you know, a couple months ago we were talking, you know, that most podcasts don't make it to a thousand downloads, you know, right. before they stop before they stop doing that. So I think just the, the And we're at like four
1: thousand now, right?
0: You know, almost three. But the 41 countries, my God, that is like, just blows my mind. So I think that the commitment, finding things to talk about, we're never at a loss for anything to talk about.
1: No, I
0: mean, we can talk about, we can talk about anything for hours. Um, so I think that, you know, finding things to talk about um, and that, you know, why do you know, and I think I probably would have struggled with this as well if I, you know, had thought long enough about it. It's like, why does anybody care what I have to say? <laughs> <You know>? Yeah, <laughs> Who cares what I have to say? So the, um, I guess maybe the self-confidence to actually do it week after week after
1: week. Yeah, I agree. And, and someone said to me, actually someone I work with, was like um, – you know, one of the hardest things about podcasts, the reason why podcasts fail, is uh, not enough content. <laughs> and, I, and that was, like, right before we started our podcast. And I was like, you know, I don't think that's going to be a problem for Francie and I, is trying to figure out the content. That's not mm-hmm. going to be an issue. Unfortunately, that's not an issue. You know, you would think, uh, you know, after you talk about, I don't know, 15 different food safety things, would be done. But there's a lot of stuff in the news constantly but yeah, I think the number one is people assume if you do a podcast, everybody's going to listen, and that is not the case. There's like millions of podcasts out there, and so just to your point, you know, we have to do a lot with with marketing. But also, I think the the number one thing is, unless this is your job and you're passionate and you absolutely love doing podcasts, YouTube, or some other type of form of media, then. Do we working through like what you were saying where you weren't in the mood, or like the other day when I literally woke up late and you were like, "Wash your face and hair, man." <laughs> you know, like I wasn't ready uh, in framework of 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 doing a podcast, but we worked through it, and I and I think that that's it. Kind of shows, I think, I think because we've been entrepreneurs for so many years, there's a lot of days where we have to work, we have to go deal with some issue we don't want to do it deal with, but we have to do it right? Day in and day right. out. So you create that muscle memory. It's like a, a mental fortitude of working out every single day. I think that's why you and I can do this I think forever. It's just because even when we're not there, luckily there's two of us. I think it'd be very hard to, to do it where it was just one of us. And then we don't, we don't feel up to it that day. We probably wouldn't do it because we have 14 other things to do, but because there's two of us, and you, two, you and I both respect each other. We're like, no, nah, we're going to show up and do this.
0: It would definitely be more difficult if there was only one of us. And I don't, you know, I just don't have the personality type that would be like, everybody's going to listen to me. <laughs> That's just not my personality type. But I can see where there may be some people that would that would fall into that trap and think that. Um, I think we both know that, you know, we need to, to work to make this podcast be a success. We never felt like we would not have to work at it to make that happen. We're, we're more surprised and excited, you know, when those numbers come in and, you know, they look, they look good than you know, to be very cavalier about it and be like, well, I knew that was gonna happen. Right. You know, we're both very grateful and excited when it is good and the results are
1: there. Well, speaking about things that are good and results being there, we were talking, uh, a, you know, today doing kind of a Poisoned 2.0 of a discussion. This will be it. I don't. I think we'll probably bring up Poisoned again through multiple episodes like we do about bringing up other people that we've talked to uh, and talk about. But <clears throat> this is going to be kind of about Poisoned again. And I am I'm dumbfounded. I am not shocked, pleasantly surprised about how well poisoned is being received in the general population. And one is a Salon article. You and I both get media from a lot of different places, but uh, Salon popped up on our feed and it was Poisoned, the six most horrifying revelations from Netflix food safety documentary. And I love this because we don't usually see a lot of mainstream media, or even Salon's not obscure, but it is more, I think, towards a a general population, but we don't usually see it outside of food safety news, anything about food safety. So this, I mean, unless there's a major outbreak. So I was pleasantly surprised that Salon did an article and a big article about the top six things that they were surprised about, which means maybe we could get more consumers maybe voting for different congressmen. Rose Delaro could have some uh, other colleagues in the House that uh, help her pass food safety legislation. But do you want to hear the top six things that shocked the author?
0: I do. I was also, to piggyback on what you just said, the documentary has done very, very well on Netflix, which is good. And and I can't say uh, I'm not going to say that I'm surprised by that. You know, I both hope that it would, you know, for a couple of reasons, it's important information and, you know, we, we know the people involved. So, you know, I had hoped for them that it would do well, but also because of the information that is in the documentary. So the fact that it has done so well, not just in the States, but around the world on Netflix is good as well from a consumer perspective. So, yes, let's talk about the top six. You know, and this is another thing, and it's back to the what you just said. These are things that we know, and we tend to take things that we know and think that everybody knows. Some of these six items you know, are things that we've known for a long time, and we tend to think that everybody knew some of them, and they don't.
1: Yeah. So, number one, which is it still surprised me when I see these numbers for this one. And I'm like, wow, I I forget how big this outbreak was. But number one surprising thing by, I believe the author's name is Joy. Yeah. Joy Saha in Salon. And we'll post this article in the the comments below. But the number one thing was Jack in a Box E. coli outbreak was the largest foodborne outbreak in the United States. And the I forget, I still forget this because we we kind of, even us, we live in the now, right? Like the Chipotle outbreak was massive. The Peanut Corp of America outbreak was massive. Some of the most recent Romaine outbreaks were were huge, touched hundreds of people. But do you know how many people were affected by the Jack in a Box outbreak?
0: I do, but only because I've written so many articles about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah I mean I've written a lot of articles about this outbreak. So it was it was a lot of people it was over it was over 700 yes. people were affected. Um I think four people
1: died is that correct? Yes. And 178 people were left with permanent effects including kidney problems, brain damage and asthma. Right. That is crazy. And 602 of them were in Washington state. I thought it was more widespread than that. Which is is crazy, too, because in the documentary, you know, you hear that nationwide, the regulation was to cook the hamburger to 140 degrees. And in Washington, their state had just mandated that it was 155 degrees. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't held to that, obviously. And that's why people got sick. But every single time I see that number, it's just baffling how big that is.
0: It was huge. And, you know, I think... Because of the way uh, our supply chain was handled back then, it was more regional. If that outbreak were to happen today, I don't believe it would be regional.
1: Oh, I get what you mean. The epidemiology is better. So you think a bunch of other states probably- I
0: believe that you know the, their supplier probably would have, the product would have been shipped.
1: Sold it to multiple places. Yes. Through consolidation over the years, you're right. There's less- suppliers providing more product right. to more states thus creating a much larger effect yeah you're right imagine imagine that is it's crazy 700 people wow number two romaine lettuce and spinach are the mer- major carriers of foodborne pathogens we both knew this mm-hmm. but it's i think it was eye-opening to a lot of people watching that uh particularly with number three being that uh, Stephanie Ingburn fell gravely ill while eating a Panera uh, bread salad. So you know those two two and three are kind of combined right because uh, she was she was a Romaine that, that uh, she ate. you know it's health food right you're supposed to eat it to be you're supposed to eat it <laughs> to help you with your organs not shut them down.
0: We talked about this last week because I made the joke that I just don't eat salads anymore. <laughs> We talked about the salads with the fries on top. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. one of my colleagues, Karen, was like, it's like the best salad ever. We need to no, do this I saw now. that. I'm just like, no. <laughs> just something so wrong with that. <laughs> I got to try it. I'm down with uh, – well, you know me. I'm down to eating about anything. But uh, fries on a salad. Uh, yeah. But, I, okay, so – I wonder what the effects are going to – because remember in 2006, that spinach outbreak, right? It uh-huh. took over a decade for spinach for, – for the industry to sell as much fresh spinach as they did back in 2006. It took over a decade. I'm not seeing that happening with Romaine, but it's interesting. I think we talked last week as well that Canada created a law – that you had to test any romaine that came from Salinas or Yuma did you you saw this right i'm not sure if i did or not so we didn't we didn't talk about that okay so canada just created a law that went into effect that when you export from the united states and, and they're importing romaine into canada you have to test that product if it came from salinas or yuma wow. so poor romaine industry is getting beat to hell between the new law with Canada and this film, but I think a lot of people are going to go. Wait, I could get sick from eating this. That that didn't think about that,
0: right? Well, and you know, people people don't. You know, they buy produce, any produce, thinking they're eating this because it's healthy. They're not. They don't associate it with the fact that they could get sick. Right, it just doesn't occur to them.
1: And the author of this article wrote a big quote at the end of number three's with with a poor girl Stephanie Ingberg that got sick from the Panera salad. She said, "It took me a long time to rebuild my strength. My coma kind of knocked me out for the hardest parts, but I know where there were moments that my family and my doctors didn't think I was going to make it through, which has been really hard on them, and it's hard for me." know that i put them through that pain and she's tearing up while she's saying this right right which is fascinating it's almost like she's a victim shaming herself (laughs) right like what i put my parents through pain and then the the last quote is i ate a salad and now have long-term health effects from it yeah it goes mm-hmm. back to that uh, botulism one that you and I talked about with that and you you said a quote that I just – was so profound. That poor mom went to the gas station, decided, made a decision to get nachos and for the rest of her life is going to be affected by that decision. It's crazy. OK. Number four, food safety regulations are actually pretty complicated
0: they're very complicated. I mean, we all know anybody that's been listening to this podcast since we started knows how I feel about this. (laughs) It is insane. It is insane. Like they they don't need to be as complicated as they are. They just don't.
1: No. It's fascinating how complicated our food system is. and. Yeah, we've we've had multiple episodes. We had one full episode just going through and talking about all the different states and what food code they utilize. And that's just for the restaurants. <laughs> that's not including the supply chain.
0: Darren Detweiler and I were just speaking the other day about, you know, the fact that South Dakota is still on the 1995 <laughs> food code. Why? Why are they still using the 1995 version of the FDA food code? You know, and okay. So while I'm talking about that, they're not the only one that is not on the current food code. There's only two states that have adopted the the most recent version of the food code. Like I, I believe, you know, Puerto Rico- in the, I think maybe the Virgin Islands.
1: <laughs> yeah. So wait, hold on a second. Hold on. Because I did not know this. I did not know this. <laughs> there are only two states that are in, that are connected to the United States. they aren't even states. Two areas that are on the current food code and both of them are no. territories of the no, United no, no. States? Pennsylvania
0: has. Pennsylvania is. And I think Mississippi is the other. Um, okay. I posted it in association with one of the most recent podcasts that we've done. Yes. Pennsylvania. And I, I, I want to say Mississippi, and then Puerto Rico, and I, I believe, I believe maybe the Virgin Islands.
1: So two territories, two states.
0: Yes, and I.
1: <laughs> Are you okay?
0: I just, it's so frustrating. It is so frustrating, and I, I know that there's a cost associated with doing this. I, I get it, but
1: yeah, the biggest cost is, is training. Right, so if you're if you're a state and you're keeping up with the new food code, that means you need to train all your inspectors. Well, there's training, there's
0: paperwork, there's there's you know updating the websites, there's you know there's a whole list of costs involved. I don't even think it's the entire state of Mississippi. Actually, I believe it's there's there's a caveat in there with the state, and I'm I'm pretty sure it's Mississippi, but it's just it's there's there's just something. Wrong with that. And somebody, there's an there's an inspector or a health code official that, you know, commented on the fact that I said that because, you know, while states have these rules and regulations and those rules and regulations, I get that. I understand. It does not negate the fact that they're not using the most current version of the food code, regardless of whether or not they have, you know, the regulation stating that you must wash your hands or... Yeah, it, it just infuriates me that they can't, we can't get our shit together. I'm sorry, but we, you know, to make sure that we're all using the most, they update the food code for a reason. Right. If we're not going
1: to follow it, let's just forget it. Yeah. And that's, and that literally is just, that's just, the food code is, right. is, is just restaurants and like, like consumer oriented consumer focused type entities it's, we're not even talking about, Oh, Marlar, if you're listening, I don't know if you saw that, that Bill Marlar wrote like, "Oh, right, now that the poison's been out uh, here, are my, what are, what do you think I should do the next day? Right. And he had a list of things that he put on yes. there. Yeah. Number one of them was like um, hepatitis A for, for all frontline workers in the, in the food industry. Lexi. But I think, I think this would be one of them is, getting all the states on board with updating the newest food code. But yeah, uh, yeah, so I think it's great that consumers were looking at that and that was number 4 on on her list was that, that is complicated. I think that most everybody just assumes that, you know, they're just trying to make sure the food is safe for everybody. Everybody's on the same page in terms of our regulations. And so when they look at that, they go, holy moly, this is not what I thought. You know, there are very, very different expectations in food code, depending upon what commodity you have and then where you're eating. So let's talk about that.
0: So one of the um, suggestions, because the food code's not law, so one of the recommendations of the food code is that you should have somebody on staff during all hours of operation that sorry, I'm losing my voice, that is a certified food manager or that, you know, can basically answer the questions, has the general knowledge. If you're not following a current version of the food code, then there may not be somebody on staff.
1: (laughs) That's a really good point. You know, because there are
0: states out there that don't require Anybody in house to have a food manager certification?
1: Right. Wow, that is a really good point. I didn't even thought about that. And when ServeSafe trainings are happening,
0: doesn't have to be ServeSafe. That's a brand, right?
1: But it is the largest one, right? Right. When ServeSafe trainings are happening, or whatever training is happening, what 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 are happening in the states that are still on the ninety five food code? Are they even using ServeSafe? Does ServeSafe have like a training for that?
0: doing their due diligence all your major corporations are making sure that they have a food manager certification because due diligence liability and all that they're they're doing that you know all your major brands but i can assure you that the smaller some of the smaller organizations the independents may not even know that they should do that and they're not it's expensive but the turnover being what it is in the industry yeah i know they're not some people are only there because they have to be. It's a requirement for the state law. So they have to be there.
1: Um, okay. We've beaten that dead horse like, <laughs> a lot I'm of done. times. Okay. Number five. Peanuts contaminated with salmonella were knowingly shipped out, which will lead to number six because this is interesting. So it was against the law or is against the law to sell peanuts or – Produce or whatever, knowing that your product has any type of adulteration. So that's correct. Anything that's regulated by the FDA, not the USDA. Anything regulated by the FDA. If there's any type of adulteration, you cannot sell that product. If you knowingly sell that product, it is criminal. Right. So if you if you knowingly know if you know that there's salmonella on the product, and you use liquidy and paper and falsify documentations on a COA and send it out anyways. You're going to jail.
0: You yeah. can get a lot of trouble for that, especially when people start to die.
1: Yes. Just ask Stuart Parnell from yes. previous. Uh, he's got plenty of time
0: on his hands. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Enough where he is going out and trying to get back out of jail. Have you seen this? Yes. Yeah. So that fascinated her and it should, it should, because he's not the only one that's done it. I mean, I've been in audits where I've seen that happen. A cot companies that have done, you know, falsifying records and stuff. So. It does happen, and it's it's not good. But uh,
0: we've talked about this. I mean, you've seen it in your industry. I've seen it in mine. I've seen corporations fire an entire management staff for falsifying company documents and for a variety of things.
1: And this is the largest in the supply chain, the largest outbreak in the supply chain. Seven hundred fourteen people got sick over the course of two years, and nine people died in forty-six states which is just, I mean, it's huge. And it's one of the things that really made the industry and the FDA realize how much products have peanuts in it because peanuts are a fantastic protein source, great flavor. Like I, I mean, um, luckily no one in my household has peanut allergies because we eat peanuts like every single day. And a lot of people do, right? But peanuts are in so many products. And so it was hard to figure out even how big this, this outbreak just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger because more people got sick eating the most random products. And then they found out it was from Peanut Corp of America's, that ingredient was in that product and it got people sick. And yeah, that's, but the guy literally was falsifying information and sending it out.
0: Right. So yeah, their product was it was crazy. The random. It was like in ice cream toppings, I believe, like peanut butter pretzels, like peanut butter crackers. It was in, it, it, it was in. You name it, their product was in it. It was every day. It was in another product. It was. It, I can, I remember that vividly. It was. It was crazy. Yeah. Because it was a byproduct. You know, it wasn't like oh, we just make peanut butter. It was astronomical.
1: Yeah, and it was. It was. <sighs> I mean, it was literally like a, a loaded peanut gun. I don't know. It's hard for me to believe that uh, the CEO and owner, Stuart Parnell, actually believed people would die. But he definitely knew that there was salmonella in there and and sent it out. I,
0: you have to know at that level, there's a risk. It, at the very minimum, they're going to get sick. Yeah. You have to. And if you don't, you shouldn't be in that position.
1: He was playing Russian roulette and he put like, Three bullets into the sixth chamber of the revolver. I mean, he had to have known it was going to come back to bite him.
0: He didn't know there was a risk anyway.
1: I mean, That's crazy. there was so much
0: wrong in that facility.
1: They had the results back from the tests. There was salmonella in there. He sent it out. Which leads to number six. Companies can legally sell chicken contaminated with salmonella, and they know that there's salmonella in there. Yes. So we just talked about Pina Corp America, the guy going to jail for falsifying information. In the chicken industry, you don't have to falsify information. Housewives should know how to cook chicken to make sure they don't kill their children.
0: Right. Everybody should know how to cook chicken.
1: So that, I could I could see how number six would be, depending upon how she's, if she's if is ranking him, you know, the big aha I think probably a lot of people are going to get out of this is, wait, What? You can know that there's salmonella in your product and just send it out and just be okay. So we
0: know when you buy chicken that there's a risk it's there, that salmonella is there. We know that because we work in the industry. How many people do you think listening to our podcast or that don't listen, anybody that goes to the grocery store and buys chicken, don't realize that there's salmonella in that chicken?
1: I think the majority of consumers would assume that there is not I think the majority of consumers think that there's a possibility that there is, you know, like it's it's a it's a potential, but that there was 30% of the chicken that tested positive with salmonella, that was a huge. Or what was it, 17% to 30% of it came from Purdue that came in from the Netflix documentary? I think that was eye-opening for people. So one out of five chickens that you get are gonna have salmonella. Cook your chicken, people. My son was just walking around today with the shirt from uh, Bill Marler that says, get the blank out of chicken. Did you get that shirt from Bill Marler? I didn't. Get the shnikes out of chicken.
0: I, no, I didn't. I only got the one that said get the F out of The
1: FDA? I asked
0: for the other ones, but I didn't get them. Oh, so sad. Probably an oversight.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just ask again. Just send him a picture of you wearing the shirt. That's what I did. <laughs> it's like, oh, look, I have the F. Get the F out of the FDA. Can I have all of your shirts, please? I, mean, I just folded my other one. <laughs> and then my kids acted like we were at Goodwill or something, and they're like, oh, look, or yard sale. <laughs> look at all these T-shirts, Dad. Oh, I want the my 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 sophomore <laughs> engineer mean- son is like. I want to get the out of the chicken shirt.
0: The way we've promoted this Netflix documentary, (laughs) we should have a case of each.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) (laughs) Let's ask this question. Do you think any type of regulation may come from this documentary? Do you think it will open up enough people's eyes to pressure any regulation to come through? And if so... What regulation do you think will be the one that comes out?
0: Well, I don't think it should be any different than the regulations that we have for beef. Yes, I agree. I don't think it should be any different than that.
1: Okay, so just to give context, after the -the jack-in-the-box outbreak, the regulation on beef was E. coli is considered an adulterant in beef. So you cannot knowingly sell beef that has tested positive to E. coli. Right. Okay, that is not the case for chicken. So the idea is to make salmonella, an adulterate in chicken, and eggs in extension. And then you cannot knowingly sell that if that's in there. Do you think that that regulation would happen?
0: Do I think it will? Um, Yes, I do. I don't know how soon it will happen, but yes, I do think that it will ultimately happen.
1: Yes, I agree. I think that that's going to be the next step. Of all the regulation that could come out of that documentary – that would be the easiest one kind of as a no-brainer to just be like, okay, we should treat chicken like we do beef and just make make it a, an adulterant.
0: I was listening to the radio this morning, and um, I don't know if anybody else listens to this or not. I think they're funny. Um, Elvis, have you ever heard of Elvis Duran in the morning? No. The, I think they're hysterical. Not for everybody, but they're funny. They were talking about eggs and how you don't have to necessarily refrigerate fresh farm eggs right away. And they were talking about eggs that you buy at the grocery store. And of course, none of them really understand what they're talking about or know anything about (laughs) food safety. So they're having this conversation. And one of them is insisting that the eggs that you buy at the grocery store are injected with something. And I'm like... People on the radio really just shouldn't talk about this stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea what you're talking about. And then they were talking about how the one guy had grown up in the city, and the first time he ever went to the country, he'd only ever seen rabbits in a cage as pets. And the first time he went to Elvis Duran's farm, because he has he has multiple homes, one of them is a farm out in the out in the country. And the first time he ever saw a rabbit in Elvis's yard. (laughs) He's like, oh, my God, somebody's rabbit got out of the cage. <laughs> it's like, <laughs>
1: I've never
0: seen a wild rabbit.
1: <laughs> I'm like,
0: oh, my God, you guys need to stop. Just, some of the stuff they say, though, are like people listen to this and they believe it. Like they don't inject eggs with anything at the grocery store. Um, and there's a difference between like – pasteurized eggs and unpasteurized eggs. And anyway.
1: Yeah. So that, that is interesting. United States, I think is the only country or one of the very few countries where you have to actually wash your eggs. So there's a membrane on an egg, which is what they're talking about. Like farm, fresh eggs. Right.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: And we're one of the only countries that actually washes the egg. So in Europe, they're not.
0: Well, and that, they were talking about that too. Well, when I go to Europe, they don't even refrigerate the eggs. And, you know, so why do we – and it's like this whole conversation. And I'm just like, now people are going to go to the grocery store, take their eggs home, and not refrigerate their eggs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely refrigerate your eggs in the United States because there is no membrane, no cuticle on there. So it's it's, it's porous. And the uh, and that's one of the one of the things. So an egg is porous. So there's salmonella on the egg. the The egg uh, will be live in those pores. And so when you crack it open, and and if you eat a raw egg, that's where you would get sick. Is is um, that salmonella then gets mixed in with that? that, And uh, you should really just
0: wipe it, not wash it. You
1: know, right? Like if you have farm fresh eggs, you you just wipe it down, and um, that would that keeps it kind of seals the egg, Um, and so then it's not porous. But yeah, in the United States, if we're you know, salmonella is prevalent. If you you are washing your eggs, then it it is an issue. You should be cooking your eggs here.
0: So anyway, I love this radio show. I think they're hysterical, but again, it's, it's, I mean, it's certainly not Howard Stern. Howard Stern, I was never a fan of, (laughs) but they're absolutely hysterical.
1: Okay. So to end this segment on the ending thing, I wanted to have a conversation with you, Francine. Since... The legal system of the United States. This was actually a court case. Um, this is talked about in Poisoned as well. But you know, totally happened. People got sick from salmonella and from chicken, and it went into the the courts. And the judge threw it out and said, people should know that there's salmonella on chicken. And wives, literally written in there, this was a while ago. But wives should just know how to cook chicken correctly, not to poison their their, their family. So on that note, that is status quo in the United States. That is the expectation is that uh, if you're the cook, like I am the cook in my house most of the time when I'm not traveling. So I am supposed to know how to cook chicken to not kill my family. My wife doesn't even like touching chicken, actually. So that's that's good. But I loved that segment in Poisoned where it showed – they literally said it's like a biohazard, which I don't think of it as a biohazard. <laughs> uh, my partner, though, does. So uh, my partner, Andy Kennedy, and new hair Partners, he treats chicken like biohazard, he told me. But he still cooks it. I still cook it. But now I'm, I'm curious, Francine, when you cook chicken in your house, how do you treat it? And How do you make sure you aren't contaminating anything else in your kitchen?
0: Well, I mean – I'm not sure what you mean by how do I cook it.
1: I mean, I. I was just saying, not how do you cook it. How do you prepare it to make sure you're not contaminating everything in the kitchen? Assuming you cook it to the right temperature, you, you killed off the bacteria overall. How do you prepare it within the kitchen to make sure you're not spreading salmonella all over the place?
0: I usually take it, the container that it's in that comes in the refrigerator, I, I lay it in the sink. I lay it down in the sink rather than on the counter, like an empty sink. Got it. Take the chicken out from there and put it directly into the pan that I'm going to cook it in. Or if it's going outside, like for on the grill, I'll put it into like a, um, a metal, I don't know, either on a cookie sheet or like a, like a cake pan kind of thing to take out and put on the grill. Usually I cook it in the oven now. So I would put it directly into like the glass pan and put it into the oven if that's what you're yeah I don't wash it don't wash it use tongs i i handle yeah. i don't like the way <laughs> like the way it feels plus i have nails
1: yes yes
0: but i don't i don't touch it i use tongs to take it out of the pan and lay it into the whatever dish i'm cooking it in and then i yeah. like either a lid or cover it with tin foil and stick it straight into the oven and then I take that whatever the styrofoam or whatever I lay the plastic on top of it, and then take it, and put it straight into the trash can.
1: Yes. So I when I when I prepare my chicken, we have marble countertops. So and my wife is like a fanatic about sanitizing, not clean, just cleaning, but sanitizing our countertops all the time. But we have like a trash can that's right next to where I prep the chicken. So I have gallon Ziploc bags. And I tend to marinate chicken a little bit beforehand. So I I have a foil pan and I have a gallon Ziploc bag prepped. And in that gallon Ziploc bag, I already have olive oil. Everything that I would put to marinate my chicken is already in that bag. So then I'm not touching things after I've grabbed the chicken, right? I open up the chicken and then I pull it out, stick it in the Ziploc bag with my bare hands Throw the the chicken container directly into the trash. So I'm standing in front of it and working right in front of me. Throw everything in the Ziploc bag. Seal the Ziploc bag. Stick it in the foil container just in case if it leaks, it doesn't go anyplace else. That's usually where I kind of cook it to is in that foil container. I instantly go wash my hands with soap and water. And I don't – we have a sink that the water turns on automatically once you put your hands over the sink. It, the water just automatically turns on so I don't have to touch anything. And then it, then I wash my hands and um, yeah. Then I use paper towels to, to dry. We go through so many paper towels. I mean, we
0: didn't talk about – I didn't say I wash my hands. But I mean that's a
1: given. <laughs> <laughs> I wash my hands so frequently when I cook. Yeah, all the time. It's been drilled into me through my career of washing hands. So now I do it all the time. But yeah, so- then, then, then after – um, like, you know, I like overnight or whatever. Then the next day, um, from there, same thing, tongs directly into that gallon Ziploc bag directly on there. If, if it's a plastic tong that I'm not going to use with the grill or whatever and, and leave the tongs. So I, a lot of times if it's metal tongs, I'll have the, the, put the tongs on the grill just to cook off whatever is on there. But if it's plastic or whatever, then I put it directly into the dishwasher, Not even in the sink, directly in the dishwasher um, to be washed and sanitized. We have a sanitizing thing on our dishwasher. But yeah, I I actually kind of treat chicken as if it is a biohazard. I didn't think about it until watching that. And I was like, oh yeah, I already do all this because I kind of knew how bad it could be. But yeah.
0: I don't have a dishwasher.
1: You don't have a dishwasher? Uh Uh-uh.
0: Wow. Wash my dishes by hand.
1: Look at you all old school. Okay. I, I, got a, I got in trouble. Can't tell my wife this. Can't tell my wife this.
0: I'm remodeling okay. my house. You know that, right? We're still so yes, remodeling. Yes, yes. Are you adding a dishwasher? I don't have a dishwasher. I don't. Nice. Do. But yeah, go ahead. You got in trouble. So
1: I got in trouble because my mother-in-law, my, my mother and father-in-law live with us. My mother-in-law came in one day and she was like, I think the dishwasher is broken. I think the dishwasher is broken. We probably should call a repair person, see what's going on with it. And I looked up from what I was doing and I said, Tracy looks perfectly fine to me. I don't know what you're talking about.
0: <laughs> oh, that is so bad.
1: Yeah, it wasn't a good night for Matt that night.
0: <laughs> I bet not.
1: <laughs> don't do that at home, guys.
0: <laughs> Sensing and I'm not in the mood.
1: <laughs> Gee, I wonder why, huh? <laughs> yeah think I'm so funny and I get in trouble all the time
0: <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Joe, Joe's editing skills are intact <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, okay well should we end it I'd say we're done all right another one in the hopper don't eat poop don't eat poop <laughs>
0: Ever or salmonella or E. coli or
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's not eat any pathogens. Good call. All right, well, thanks all. Thank you. Bye. Bye.